Welcome to PR360, a weekly interview podcast dedicated to talking about the important topics within the public relations technology industry, hosted by Brett Deister and in partnership with Global Results Communication. Find out more information at globalresultspr.com. And welcome to another episode of PR360, and I'm your host, Brett Deister. And if always, Please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And today we have a guest, and he's actually a fellow CSUF alumni like me. He is Jonathan Volsky, and he has been a reporter covering some hard-hitting news when he started at the Daily Titan, which is the Cal State Fullerton newspaper. When he left, he actually was a reporter for the Orange County Register, he covered murder, mayhem, and local government. And also, after 13 years of that, he also published his own newspaper that's still running today. But he decided to move on and do some public relations for the city of Lake Forest. So welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much for having me. And first question I always ask my guests, are you coffee or tea drinker? I'm a tea drinker. We invested in a very expensive teapot that Bruise it for just the right amount of time, right at the exact temperature. Start every day with some Earl Grey. Nice. I am both, but I still prefer my coffee as always. <laughs> what type of tea do you actually like or prefer? We drink uh, Earl Grey at home. Mm. Start every day with that. Nice. And so what was one of your most memorable news stories that you were reported on? You brought up Cal State Fullerton. I finished there in 1986. And from a journalism student's perspective, it was an incredible time to be there because we actually had students who murdered a professor. And then we had a professor who murdered his girlfriend's estranged husband. So those were memorable to be at the Daily Titan staff and competing with the Orange County Register and the LA Times on those stories was really an experience and obviously helped shape my career. At the Orange County Register, there was a disappearance of a woman named Denise Huber on her way home from a concert in L.A. She lived in Newport Beach with her family, 23-year-old woman, got a flat tire with the days before cell phones, and then she was taken from the freeway and not seen again. Her body wasn't found for three years, and it was found in Arizona. So that was a story that I covered from the very beginning up until her killer was sentenced to death, uh, which was an amazing experience to see the crime reporting. It came very close with the family and then watching the case go through the courts. Those are probably the ones that stay with me today. Yeah, some pretty hard-hitting stuff you reported on. Yeah, covering murder is, you have the tragedy of what happens to the victims, but then over that career of doing jailhouse interviews or sitting with the parents of a, someone accused of murder, really trying to figure out how people work and what motivates people and why such horrible things happen is fascinating. Mm -hmm. And so what led you to switch from being a reporter to being a PR pro? I think, as you mentioned, after leaving the register, and I was fortunate to be there at a time when there was a journalism war going on in Orange County, the register and the LA Times were incredibly competitive. We had huge teams of reporters and threw everybody at every story that had any interest. And then going off and starting my own newspaper, the Capistrano Dispatch, I merged that with a partner, Norb Garrett, who's an incredible journalist and businessman. So 10 years of doing the dispatch, I just felt like I'd done everything I could do in journalism. 
I'd like to say I was smart enough to see the demise of print coming or the challenges of print, but really just felt like I had accomplished all I wanted to accomplish and it was time to take on some new challenges. And moving on to the PR industry, how has being a reporter gave you an advantage of actually being a PR pro? The most obvious one and the advice I give anybody is I'm very confident in my writing, able to write very quickly and accurately on deadlines, have a very straightforward style, of course, the journals and trained us with that old inverted pyramid. So I think that's the number one advantage is, you know, I wrote 3,000 some odd stories during my career at the register. So not intimidating at all or anything like that. So having a solid foundation of writing is probably the biggest advantage. And then also just understanding the elements that go into a story, what makes a story attractive to a reporter. And on the humanistic side, understanding the pressure a reporter is under and what their editors are looking for from them and the expectations of production and quality and some uniqueness that maybe gets them noticed above the others. Mm -hmm. Was there any disadvantages or like weak spots for you when you transitioned from a reporter to a PR pro? I started with a boutique firm and in Orange County that had some government clients and trying to earn their trust that I wasn't this reporter who was going to try to find their secrets and leak them to the media or expose them or anything like that. There were actually a couple of clients, some governmental agencies that didn't want me on the team or assigned to their project because they still saw me more as a reporter than somebody that would be out there helping them craft their message and, and create a positive image. So that was probably one of the disadvantages. So how did you overcome that doing your PR stuff? Did you have to do like different types of messaging? Did you have to keep on letting them know, like, look, it, I'm not trying to do anything for you. I'm just really trying to make sure that your message gets out there. How did you overcome that challenge? Well, I think it's just like a reporter when you had sources who were going to tell you a secret or tell you something that could jeopardize their career or your relationship with your readers or anything else. It's just building that trust, getting to know them, some lunches. And just letting them be completely transparent, which, of course, is one of the tenets of journalism and good public relations, and letting them know that I was somebody that could help them with my skill set and would never do anything detrimental to my clients. So it was just like every relationship took some time and some heart-to-heart discussion. Mm -hmm. And what has actually been harder for you when you've done both sides of it? Was it more investigating and researching stories, or was it more answering questions from the press as a PR pro? I think investigating stories, especially most of my work was before the digital era. I left the uh, register in 2002 and then I did the dispatch until 2012. So we didn't have access to everything online. And a lot of times at the register, we didn't use public records requests maybe as much as we should have. There wasn't email really out there then, so we didn't have the digital trails. So it was always much more difficult to try to get to the heart of a story and really get an understanding of it. Answering questions now at the PR program, you you know all the information. You've talked to your city leaders and your other stakeholders, so you know what message you want to get out. And, and you just have to cling to that message and not be go for any of the bait or get flustered by any of the questions. So I think back in the day and even today still, reporters today are under a different pressure where they're producing far more stories than I ever had to in different stories at the same time. We have a case now where the reporter for the Orange County Register is literally covering 15 cities in Orange County. When I was at the Register, we had two reporters covering every city. 
So the challenges are different. And most of the time you can just build that relationship and be able to get through the tension with a reporter and just understand where he or she's coming from, give them what they need. And we don't have that animosity anymore of the old days when public officials just didn't want anything to do with reporters. Mm. So the times have changed quite dramatically since you've been a reporter is what I'm hearing. Yeah, it's good and bad. Uh, even from my side, a lot of people think, oh, it's great to be a PR person. Nobody's watching cities anymore. Cities can get away with things. Governments can get away with things. And, and that's not true because everybody's a reporter now. Everyone's got a cell phone. Everyone's got a Facebook page. Everyone's got a blog if they want one. So we don't really have the credible sources out there anymore that can tell a city's story. The Register, the Times, even the local papers, Captional Dispatch, of course, when they take the time and tell a story, it benefits the city as well. Sure, there's some stuff sometimes that maybe a city doesn't look as good or a government official doesn't look as good. But at the end of the day, those efforts at transparency and all the good things that the city is doing, those are being lost today too because reporters just can't get to them anymore. They're covering the blood and the gore and the traffic accidents and everything else that city I work for, Lake Forest, is one of the largest cities in California, if not the largest, that's 100% debt-free. And with all the talk of pensions and everything else out there, it's hard to get a reporter's attention to write a good story like that, as important as it is. must be especially hard now, since everybody is really focusing on what the government, local governments, state governments are actually doing at this time. Yes. Yeah, it's obviously during the COVID pandemic and the coronavirus pandemic, it's, that's all the messaging they're talking about. And cities in the background have continued to function and provide the vital services, everything from trash pickup to police and fire, all that's continued to go on. And some great stuff has been happening that's just never going to be reported. So it more than ever falls on the public relations side to get that message out to stakeholders and residents directly. Mm-hmm. And from a reporter's perspective, what do you think PR pros do wrong when talking to the media? Well, I think there's oftentimes too much platitude. One of the things that frustrates me nowadays when I watch a, a large news conference is first 10 minutes of the news conference are, are the official thanking all the other officials for the great job or we couldn't have handled this crisis and here's such and such from there. And the first 10 minutes are nothing but platitudes and compliments of each other. That, to me, is disrespectful reporters' time. It frustrates the reporters. And even the reporter who's most fair has the option of starting the story with one sentence or the other sentence. City officials were successful in doing this, or city officials failed in doing this. You can tell the same story a couple of times. So I think that's a trend that's becoming more and more, especially when we see these incidents that bring in multiple agencies up there. I think that just not getting to the point, not respecting the reporter, not giving the who, what, when, where, why, how as quickly as possible is probably one of the things uh, I see most. Most of the people I work with and most of the people I've seen, there's some incredible public relations professionals now, and it truly is a profession. Right? It's become a profession. It's becoming more and more professional. And I think they recognize that transparency, you can't hide anything more, you can't put anything cute, because the biggest damage to your client or your city or whatever is when you're found not being completely honest or completely transparent. Everyone gets over the news cycle so quick, the bad news comes and goes. But if you develop a relationship with not being honest or transparent, that's going to stay forever. So what I'm hearing is 
you can do compliments, but don't make it overbearing. And also consider basically talking to the press like you write a press release almost. Yes. Yeah, especially nowadays when the demands, as I said earlier, are so great on reporters to produce so much information. In the old days, a reporter maybe had to do one story a day or one story every two or three days. And now it's not unheard of for those reporters to be doing two or three stories. And then competition used to be, you know, I, I beat the register. I got pulled off a story at the register once because the LA Times had a quote I didn't have. That's how competitive we used to be back in the day. Nowadays, those guys and women are hustling to get it up on the internet. So the minutes they lose are minutes that are maybe putting them behind in a cycle of getting a story up on the internet and getting it out to readers. Mm -hmm. And with that, do you think the future of media relations is going to be more towards talking directly to your constituents or customers through live streaming and podcasting? Or do you think media still has a role, even if it's not as prominent as before? I think media has a role, certainly on the national level. I think the Orange County Register, our local dominant paper in our market, has been going through a lot lately, and there's a dedicated band of journalists there. But the Register needs to find its focus and really emerge again as a leader in the industry. First part of your question is exactly right. What we do in the city of Lake Forest and what public relations people for government and everything do is now you just develop your own audience, whether it's Facebook or Nextdoor or Twitter, videos, you just go straight to the client, straight to the residents and straight to the stakeholders. And we've seen through the coronavirus pandemic, more and more cities doing that, where the mayor has been putting out a video every week, updating residents and making the media sort of irrelevant in that part of the discussion. So basically, PR pros are becoming more of the gatekeepers than the actual media is becoming. Exactly. And it's more and more important than ever to have those skills. When I came out learning to write and take some photos nowadays, public relations professional, you know, unless you're going to contract it out, you've got to have the skills to put together a podcast, do audio editing. You've got to have the skills to do at least rudimentary video editing and understand some lighting and different things because getting out to your residents directly and building the trust and they want to see, we've heard from our residents in Lake Forest, they want to see the mayor, they want to hear the city manager, they want to hear it straight from the horse's mouth because A, they trust that person and B, if they need to hold somebody accountable, they know who that is. Mm -hmm. That actually was going to be my next question. Should (laughs) future generations of PR pros become more of video editors and audio editors and understand lighting? Because a lot of times lighting is probably the most important thing when you're shooting, but do you think that they should actually really at least grasp some understanding of it? Absolutely. I'm involved with the California Association of Public Information Officials, CAPIO as we call it, and some of the most popular sessions at their conference is, is video production, lighting, making sure the background's clear. Uh, things that we used to think about in photograph where you didn't have the tree coming out of someone's head takes on a whole new meaning when it's video and live, just down to how the person's dressed and how they present themselves. And of course, writing a script is a little different than writing a news release, a different voice. All of that is just going to become more and more important as not only does press fall away, and let's face it, even if newspapers were functioning at the best they've ever were, the public trust right now in the media is not very high. So regardless of what's going on with the media, it's going to become incumbent on public relations with professionals in cities to become their own channel, develop the trust, and maintain that trust. And 
people want video right now. It's evolved from print to photos. You know, pictures worth a thousand words. I guess a video must be worth a million. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing is that almost the news agencies or the news media needs to have their own PR firm to help their image. <laughs> I always wondered. Yes, exactly. And certainly some of the changes we've seen in Orange County with the register and the bankruptcies and things that they didn't have someone out there letting officials know in advance and giving a, a heads up and that reassurances that things are going to be okay. The editor's trying to do that now and he does a pretty good job, but yes, I think that more than ever, newspapers need to become better at public relations. It's almost like the tables have turned. Yeah, that's a good observation. It's a challenge and certainly on the national level and there's a video I saw yesterday of a reporter nearly getting attacked just trying to film a rally in Florida. So it's a difficult time to be a reporter for so many different reasons. And unfortunately, it's sort of that perfect storm that the finances and let's face it, newspapers and to some extent television, but mostly newspapers, all these retail businesses shut down for as long as they've been, and as long as they may be under coronavirus. Those are the bread and butter advertisers for newspapers. So the financial hit the papers are taking right now is right up there with any other industry, if not greater. Mm-hmm. And how do you think PR is going to change from the recent events? Do you think it's going to become more prominent as a way of delivering city news and people are going to be less actually reading or watching the news? Or do you think it's going to be morphing into something else, almost like content creators for the city? I think it is. And as we talk, it seems like the, the term of the city news bureau becomes more and public relations might have some old like spin doctor sort of connotation or something. But I know at Lake Forest, we're very dedicated to transparency. And I'm fortunate that my city manager, Deborah Rose, has a background in communications. My supervisor, Brett Channing, has a background in communications. So really, we have a highway of transparency and openness that's supported from the top all the way down to my department. And I see the old days when we had the register and the times were competing and then the local television bureaus. Now the competition for cities trying to get their accurate information out is other Facebook pages. Every city has their own Facebook page, but then there's Facebook pages started by residents. We have Facebook pages, a discussion page, a neighborhood watch page, all these individual pages. And if I'm not quick about getting my information out quickly and first and accurately and directly, stuff is going to pop up on those other pages first where people, I heard this, I saw this, and then you're down the path of trying to play catch up. So city public relations departments, especially governments, almost have to become your own news bureau where you're getting information out first, getting it out accurately, because it'll get out somewhere else and then you're chasing your tail. Mm -hmm. And so does that what the future of PR looks like now is just more of just getting the content, making sure you're authentic and making sure you're talking to your constituents daily or weekly or whenever you decide the cadence of your communication to your constituents? Absolutely. I think the other change is really you've got to do it on multiple channels. So you're going to put up an Instagram post. You're going to have a longer Facebook post. You're going to do a video. So the same message, you can't just put out a single news release out there anymore and hope that people get up and the old days when the wire service picked it up and it went to the radios and it was the home run. Now you've got to do that. So you've got to have a message on video. You've got to have the message on Facebook. You've got to have the message on next door. And you've got to put it up more than once because the way those systems work, it doesn't necessarily mean just because you've got 7,000 followers that all 7,000 are going to see it. 
but I think you've got to prepare a message and get it to the the way they want to see it, the way they're comfortable using it, and then recognizing the difference that a Facebook post, people use Facebook a little differently than next door. People watch videos a little differently than they look at other things. So videos, of course, know now you've got to, and captions are on because more than 80% of videos are watched with the sound off. So you have to get the news out there, your message out there, but you've got to get out there on multiple channels to ensure that you reach everybody. Mm -hmm. Which leads me to my next question is, is it more difficult to get the right message out to your customers and constituents regarding just the current situation we are, but just also in general, does it seem it's harder to actually get the right one? I mean, you're not going to make everybody happy, but you still want to make the majority of people happy. I think the basic thing is if you're starting now, you're going to be starting too late because there is so many channels out there. There's channels, there's unofficial channels as they talk about. So you really have to have the trust now. If you're trying to build your audience and build that reputation if something happened, it's kind of too late. And the coronavirus pandemic is a great example. There's an overwhelming amount of incredible information and tools just coming from government agencies that's there. The CDC has a great website, and along with a plugin that you can put onto your own channel, WBC update. The Orange County Health Department has done a great job of creating memes and Instagram posts and other visuals and giving those to all the cities to use. So just filtering that information, even internally, to get it out to residents in a, in a useful way, it's been an incredible challenge. And then on top of that, of course, trying to distinguish the useful, correct information from all the other stuff on all the other pages. So I think the challenge is just trying to rise above the noise, give them residents enough without giving too much uh, and remembering that you're basic at the end of the day, you know, what are you trying to message with coronavirus? For example, there's so much information you could put out. Uh, the county's done a great job of how many people are sick, where they're from, how many are in the hospital, what their ages are. Well, from our point in Lake Forest, we've started from day one and kept to here's how many cases involve Lake Forest residents for the comparison of how many cases there are in Orange County. So we've tried to limit the information we're putting out. We let people know where they can go get more, but we're not overwhelming them with those sort of stats. And that's been one of the biggest challenges is just sort of becoming your own filter, of getting information out there without overwhelming people. And do you think there's a right cadence for the overwhelming or not overwhelming people? Because it can be like hard when there's a lot of things going on and you want to give as much information out. But is there kind of a balance or is it hard to find that balance between not enough and too much? It's difficult, but the great thing that we have in 2020, of course, is the metrics, the instant metrics from whether it's Twitter, Facebook, or next door, we can see how people are receiving the information, how many people are engaging with the information. And we're watching that every day to sort of judge the interest and people's appetite for things. If we're getting a high engagement, then we know we're heading in the right direction. If we see that engagement drop over a couple of days, we know that the message is time to change the messaging a little bit and bring in some new things. So we've seen growth in our social media followers, everything from next door to Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So we know that people are finding us, which is very encouraging. And then we've seen growth in that engagement and sustained growth. And that's been uh, an advantage we have over the old days of sending out a news release and trying to find earned media. Uh, now we can see what's connecting with people, which posts are connecting with people, and stay on that path to be successful. 
Mm-hmm. Has there been a bigger push now to at least look at your crisis plan or update it yearly now as before when everybody was just like, well, we have a crisis plan. We just don't know when we're going to use it. Yeah, that's a, a kind of a curveball question because even the most updated local crisis plan probably did not have pandemic in it, right? I mean, of all the things that we're ready for, we've all been through tabletop exercises of, hey, an earthquake has just wiped out California and the water's off and the electricity's off. Or where we work in Lake Forest, we're up against the National Forest. So wildfire is a very real possibility and it's occurred. So that's in our plan and we've done tabletops on that. But the idea that we'd ever go through a pandemic just never occurred to us. I mean, it's, we're going to go back and write that in. We're going to have to write in meteor crashing into Earth and, and everything else that may happen. Uh, this challenge has been different, I think, for public relations and messaging because unlike those other things I mentioned, it's gone on. I mean, we're 10 weeks into it or so, depending on when you started, when your city really ramped up. And none of these other emergencies that we talk about really go on that far. The other challenging thing from a public relations standpoint is if you're doing an earthquake or if you're doing a fire, if you're doing something like that, there's always some victories along the way. You know, the fire is contained, the fire is controlled, we saved a neighborhood, we saved people. So even in the midst of the disaster, there's still some stuff that you can highlight as good news and it helps bring people hope. Earthquakes, as you remember, the big Northridge earthquake, getting the water back on, getting the power back on. There were all these interim steps that were leading people. The pandemic's been a challenge because there's no end. Uh, Governor Newsom has put his stay-at-home order in place, and he didn't even put an end date on it. He said until it changes. So that's forced us to go out and create messages of hope. So in Lake Forest, for example, we've started a hometown hero program where we let people nominate residents who are doing great things. First was a woman who's organizing those drive-by birthday parties, and it was just something she did. So we've been every week highlighting a hometown hero someone who delivers groceries for their neighbors, someone who's made masks and raised money for charity. And that's sort of taken that place and allowed us to give hope. We started something fun with trying to get people to wear masks. We've started a fun thing called Who's Behind the Mask? We have people send in a selfie of themselves wearing a mask and a little paragraph about themselves. And we share that on our social media. And it sort of normalizes the mask, lets people see themselves. And it's sort of a little break. It continues the messaging that, hey, you need to wear a mask but it's a little more fun and normalizes it. So we've had to find that and come up with that. And other cities have done some great stuff as well, because otherwise it is, as you mentioned, that constant drumbeat of do this, do this, don't do this, stay in your home. Yes, we're all watching retail go bad, but don't reopen your business. So that's been a challenge also, is just trying to keep people, give them that feeling of hope when nothing statistically or nothing practically has changed from day to day. So basically you did a crisis plan on the fly during this pandemic. Yes. And one lesson I would say that became apparent to us is recognizing how interwoven different agencies are. So although the city of Lake Forest did not have pandemic in its crisis communications plan, the Orange County Emergency Operations Center had pandemic in its emergency plan. And especially in the early days of the pandemic and the outbreak in Orange County, we were on the phone, conference calls with all the agencies in Orange County. Sometimes it's more than 100 and some odd agencies. When you add school districts, cities, county agencies, and special districts such as vector control. And all those agencies were working together in the incident command structure and being able to share information, ensure that we're all messaging the same 
uh, if not the same words and same materials, at least all on the same page. Uh, and the county was a tremendous resource to us, and the state was involved in that operation. So I think one of the lessons that I've talked to some of my friends in PR agencies is get an understanding of the FEMA system, uh, the emergency operations system. You can take classes online through FEMA for free, the incident command system, the emergency operations center system, because in a crisis like this, you need to rely on other agencies that have more expertise, not only sharing information, but materials and other things. So Orange County of Orange was an amazing resource for us to help get us through this. And do you think this pandemic is actually going to kind of push more collaborations between cities and local agencies for the future? Or is this just kind of a little bit of a bump of like, oh, we should talk to each other? I think it's going to make it not so nerdy. You know, most cities and most agencies have an emergency manager, and most of us were required to take some of these classes online over the years. And it was sort of one of those like, ah, what am I doing this for? It's almost like taking geometry in college. Sure, it seems like it's valuable, but will I ever use it? And I think this has been a, a good wake-up call that we all need an understanding of that because there is no fire department that can step in and take control like they would in a fire. There is no sheriff's department that would step in and be the lead agency in earthquake. This is something that's relied on all of us and, and made us rely on that interwoven system and interconnectivity. So I think it'll be taken much more seriously, and it certainly opens our eyes to the range of possible impacts and disasters that can hit a city beyond our standard earthquake or tsunami or wildfire. Mm-hmm. And kind of more speaking still back on the content, do you think there's a, going to be the death of physical collateral or at least a pause on it? since the pandemic has hit? I do think that collateral is going to take a, a big hit. It's obviously digital stuff. And I will give my other pet peeve of how PR people, I think, sort of missed the boat in that I'd like to see the death of the PDF. It was a great tool in a while because we would write something and send it out and obviously no one can change it. But nowadays, it's running social media. I'll get news release from a local hospital, for example, just sent out some stuff. Well, it's a PDF, and if you work with social media, a PDF is worthless on social media. You can't post it to Facebook. It's difficult to cut and paste. So I think what we're going to see is this transition to Instagram, Square, Facebook posts, and things that are set just so I can take them, look at them, and get them out on my social media efficiently. Because just like when it comes to sending something to a newspaper, the more work I have to do to get something ready to be shared on my social media from another agency or a PR firm, the less likely I am going to do it. Some of this stuff coming across is sort of optional. Yes, it's good to get it out, but it's not mandatory. And if I've got to spend even 20 minutes sort of reformatting it and make it work, then there's a good chance it's going to get pushed to the uh, edge of the pile. The Orange County Transportation Authority is working on a freeway project through all this and just sent out a great media kit. I uh, had the news release written, as I said, in, for Twitter, for Facebook, for Nextdoor, had the accompanying graphics properly proportioned for each of those different things. And it made it very easy for me to share it across all of my different channels. So I'd like to see that change. That is, we're all becoming channels and we're sharing information among each other because there are times that the city of Lake Forest residents obviously need to hear from the Orange County Transportation Agency, need to hear from the TCA, need to hear from SCE. Those PR people sending it in a way that I can get it up on my page and with the quality that they want, right? That's the end of the day. You want it to look a certain way on my page, then you create it that way, and it's more likelihood I'm 
uh, going to get it up without anything bad happening to it in between. So basically, if you're going to do PDF, at least put it in a doc or PNG or JPEG. Yeah, absolutely. Something that can be used and put up. And certainly PDF, you know, maybe calling for its death is a little premature. And I apologize to Adobe because heaven knows we need Adobe. But it is a very difficult thing to work with. And I don't think it shows the forethought of, hey, I want you to use this. And I'm going to anticipate how you're going to use it. And here are the tools you need to do that, which is what good PR people do, right? Mm-hmm. And fun question for you. If you could be the PR representative or pro for anyone in history, what would it be or who would it be? I have a fascination with Los Angeles in the golden era, you know, the 50s, the 60s. So Norris Polson was the mayor who brought the Dodgers to Los Angeles. And Sam Yorty was the famous mayor and Tom Bradley. And those guys, all great things were happening in L.A. It was a place where anything was possible, right? We were movies, we were rockets, we were airplanes, we were everything. And at the same time, there were some challenges, obviously, some bad stuff going on as well. So it would have been a very interesting time to be in public relations, certainly the modern era, if you could be the modern practitioner back in those eras, because there was great stuff to celebrate, and then there were also some great problems that public relations could, could have helped solve. Mm-hmm. And any final thoughts for our listeners? No, this is great. I think we take everything I said with a grain of salt because it's not over. So we're talking about this evolution and this crisis that's going on worldwide, certainly nationally and certainly within Orange County, and bringing new demands from us and changing how we do our work. And who knows what happens tomorrow? If unfortunately, Orange County's done a great job of holding to just 80 deaths. But if something spikes and we're seeing a greater number of deaths, all of this may be thrown out the window. And we, we may be doing things at a different pace or, or differently. So I think it's great what you guys are doing and look forward to listening because it's going to continue to evolve, not just what's happening around us, but the profession as it responds to what's happening around us. All right. Thank you, John, for joining us on PR360. We appreciate your insight. Thanks very much for having me. And thank you for listening to PR360. And if you could, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. I'm your host, Brett Deister, and have a good day. Stay safe and see you next week. Later, guys.